Wonderful job, worship team. Thank you for doing that. Hey, I want to give you a few updates. First of all, you may see some differences in my face. So I've got a little work I've been doing here. And this is only, believe it or not, this is only 15 days worth of growth on my beard. So <laughs> called a 15 o'clock shadow, you know. <laughs> So I also, uh, I got LASIK surgery this week, so I don't have glasses anymore, and uh, I got a Groupon, it was a great deal, and I just had to go to this alley, and they did it for me there, it was, they told me it was very clean, so I believed them, and <laughs> no, it was, it, it was a, a legitimate place. So those are some big changes, and uh, my, my family sent me some green socks, so I know the rules, so if anybody tries to pinch me, you're in trouble. And so updates on our, our situation, our house in Oregon has sold, and so we are doing, yeah, yeah, doing a couple repairs on that. The buyers have accepted the repairs we said we would do. The moss grows on roofs in Oregon, which is surprising to everyone, surprising to me when we got there. And that's the only thing we declined to do, otherwise we're doing all the, the fixes on that. And then we uh, have found, and we're under a contract on a house here, and so we, it was this, this crazy situation. We just have the best realtor that uh, anyone could ever find. Candy has, she, why don't you wave? <laughs> so there was this, it was like an octagon of realtors that all had to go into this cage match. And Candy <laughs> came out victorious from, from this battle. And she, she went in for us and was a bulldog on it. And so we were so grateful for that. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't mess with her either way, I don't think. But So, yeah, so those are the updates on us. I'm, I'm happy to continue talking through, but a, a lot of you have asked, and so I was like, you know, we'll, we'll get them all out all at once, and, and then we'll know. So, as most of you know, my folks got divorced when I was young, and so what that meant for me, I lived with my mom and my two sisters, and we moved around a lot. So we were in a lot of different rental houses. We would live there about a year, then we would get evicted, and we would move to a different rental house, and we would live there six months and we would get evicted and so this happened to us a lot and so kindergarten first grade and second grade I was at different schools each time so kindergarten I was at one school first grade I went to another and then second grade I went to what's called James Buchanan Elementary and so you, as you can imagine it's as good of an elementary as the president was so <laughs> <laughs> so who knows <laughs> I don't know anything about James Buchanan so <laughs> So I got, to, I, I got to James Buchanan as a second grader, and I got there, and I just kind of looked around, and I thought, i got a lot of work to do here. i got a lot of work to do. And so I noticed one day, one of my first days there, on the playground, that these kids were kicking other kids' lunch boxes. <laughs> and I thought, no, that cannot be happening on my playground. <laughs> and so... I watched a lot of television, so I knew the remedy for this, because television tells us the truth, right? <laughs> so I knew the best way to solve a bullying problem was you needed a team of heroes. And so I started assembling a team. And so I, I kind of put together a focus group, and I started asking some polling questions. And because and I knew every team needs a name, right? And so the name that I came up with was the team. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So the team was formed, and, and when I got to Buchanan, there were only two other kids that I knew, this, this kid named Casey and this kid named Joe. And Casey has been seriously my friend since before I could even talk. And so we still text each other to this day. We still remain friends. He's a Cleveland Indians fan, so 
the hope is, yeah, <laughs> he's going to come out and visit, and we'll go to a game. I, I don't follow baseball, but I'll go to a game. And, and so Casey has always been my friend, and this other kid, Joe, and Joe was bigger than me and more athletic and better looking, and, but I was always better at theater than him, so <laughs> we know who won that little exchange, right? And so Casey and Joe were my only two friends at Buchanan when I started, and, and so they were obviously the first two people on the team. <laughs> and so we started recruiting, and let me tell you, recruiting was going well because people don't like bullies. And so we started recruiting, and, and one of the, the things that I realized throughout this process is when you get this big of an organization, you need some kind of ranking so you can know who gives the orders, right? And so I had this little notebook, and I started writing down names, and I would write down ranks of what I imagined as a second grader, the best ranks and the worst ranks. And so we had uh, general, obviously, <laughs> and we had captains, and, and I heard major one time, and so then I was like, well, obviously there's got to be minors in the military too, so <laughs> minors and... <laughs> And so we got pretty extensive, and then, and then at one point, the top of the order got shuffled because I, one of the Star Trek movies came out, and Captain Kirk became an admiral in that movie, and so I thought, admiral is a pretty impressive title. <laughs> so that became the number one title, and so I was an admiral for a little bit, don't applaud, but. <laughs> and so we started this process, and, and I remember about halfway through the year, the, a new bad guy came to school, and his name was Jerry, and Jerry had long, curly hair, and he was way faster than me, and the girls liked him more than me, so bad guy, right? <laughs> so, he, and, and here's our strategy. You, you may like this innovation. Our strategy for how we would tackle the bad guys is we would kind of run around, and we would wait until they weren't watching. And then, this was an innovation I came up with, we would run straight at them and jump kick them in the back. <laughs> and so, <laughs> it was pretty effective. <laughs> I think they learned their lesson, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> So this went on for a few years, <laughs> I know, this went on for a few years, and eventually my friend Joe, who was bigger, stronger, and better looking than me, he got caught because he was better at this than I was, and he got to the principal's office, he got suspended, and he was in this big trouble, right? And Joe eventually named names, and <laughs> I, had to, I had to go talk to Joe's dad, who's this huge firefighter, very intimidating guy, and, and Steve, Joe's dad, sat me down, and he said, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, well, obviously, these bad guys were kicking lunch boxes. We had to fix the situation, Steve. <laughs> so <laughs> I did not tell him that. I just sat there in fear, and, and Steve said, you guys are fighting kids. This is what bullies do, right? And this is, this is not a good thing you should be doing. This is, you guys are acting like a gang. Gangs are bad guys. And I remember in my second, well, at this point I was probably fourth grade, in my fourth grade mind I was thinking, we don't do bad things, we're the good guys. We, anything we do is right because we're the good guys. We can't be doing bad things because we're the good guys. Now, we would never think so simplistically about who good guys and bad guys are, <laughs> would we? That one's pretty easy, I mean, we, you know. We in our, our modern world would never devolve ourselves into thinking that clearly there are good guys and bad guys. We would never start thinking that some people on the other side are all evil and us, we are all good, would we? So in the first century, there was a group that was very clearly the bad guys. There was a group that was, I would say, evil in a lot of ways. And 
this group of people, a lot of times we hear the name and we think geeky IRS guy, right? So we hear about tax collectors, we think geeky number guy and all they're doing. We all live in society, so we don't, we're never happy about paying taxes, but at the same time, we can see the reasoning. We pay taxes, so we have roads, we have firemen, we have uh, police, and, and, and so we may argue about how much money goes to these things, but, but a lot of us agree taxes are okay. And so when we hear tax collector, as modern Americans, we often think geeky, nerdy IRS guy, right? <laughs> but in the first century, that was not the case. So in the first century in Israel, in Jerusalem, in the, in the surrounding area, there was the biggest, baddest nation that had ever existed in the world up to that point, Rome. Rome was in charge, and Rome made, every, made sure everyone knew that they were in charge. And so if people had any kind of rebellion, Rome squashed it with brutality. And so there were people that had to collect taxes for Rome. And so the way that this would go is a, a man would come to the Roman government and he would say, hey, listen, I want to be the tax collector for this area. Here is this huge amount of money. I will give it to you. Let me be the tax collector. And so this was his estimate of what he could pull in from taxes from that area. And so whoever had the highest bid would be the tax collector for that area. And so the tax collectors already were a wealthy group. And so what they did is they came and they brought their bid. The Romans would take the highest bid and then they would go back to their own people and they would extort, they would bully, they would threaten, they would do whatever it took to get their money back plus some. So these tax collectors were finding their own people. They were traitors. They were finding their own people and they were squeezing every drop of money they could out of them. Tax collectors were bad guys. And, and so we think about that and, and then we come to this story in our Bibles and it seems a little strange to us because it doesn't seem as shocking as it ought to, I think. So we're going to be reading this this morning. I'm in the NIV. I, there's a lot of good translations, so uh, try to bear with me if, if you have a different one. We're going to be starting in verse 1 here. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, the tough thing about these two kind of stories is they don't really seem all that related at first, do they? They seem like they're a little disconnected. They seem like they might just be kind of mashed into the gospel next to each other. But, but I want to say that I think that these two stories are related in a lot of ways. 
So Jesus is going through, and he, he's brought this paralytic on this mat. Now, a lot of times the people in the first century, the Jewish people, anytime somebody had a physical deformity, anytime they had something wrong with them, the idea was that this person has some kind of sin, or their parents have some kind of sin. And so th- this was the common, what I call, folk religion of the day. The folk religion said this person must have messed up pretty bad for God to have this judgment on them. And in a lot of ways, that seeped into modern Christianity too. So, so they looked at this person, they said, this person is unclean, this person is, is bad, they're sinful. And so the first thing Jesus does when this person is brought to him is he says his sins are forgiven. <laughs> and so people are like, you, you don't have the authority to do that. And so then Jesus proves that he does by saying, okay, if you don't think so, then get up, take your mat, and walk. And then the crowds are amazed, right? And so we're talking about a kingdom and the king. And so if you are going to build a kingdom, this is kind of a good start, Right? You go and you find the people that are downtrodden and you, you lift them up. You find the crippled people, the broken down people, and you heal them. This is going to get the crowds excited, right? <laughs> so Jesus takes all this goodwill and what does he do? He goes and finds the most despised, hated person in the entire community. And what does he say to that person? <laughs> he invites him along for the journey. And so, and so these two are very related because Matthew also gets up leaves his tax collecting behind and finds a new life just like the paralytic. And so we see this amazing redemption of this tax collector, right? We see Jesus calls Matthew, the sinner and the tax collector, to a new life. This is amazing. (laughs) Even the worst, even the most evil types of people, Jesus is inviting to a new life. This is the kind of kingdom that he's building. And on its own, this is a fantastic story, right? This, this reminds us all that no matter how bad we've been, no matter what we've done, Jesus still has a place for us in his kingdom. A little bit after Jesus, around 70, 75 AD, there were two groups of people that emerged. So the temple was destroyed eventually, and there were two groups of people that were emerged, and they were very related to each other. They were called the Zealots and the Sicarii. Now the Zealots were a splinter group, and the Zealots believed that the best way to bring about God's kingdom in the world was violent revolution. And so they would do whatever it took. They would kill whoever got in the way. They would incite rebellion, riots, everything. And so these guys started around 70, 75 AD, and and a splinter group of that was called the Sicarii. And Sicarii literally means dagger men. And so these guys would have daggers concealed. It's like a video game. They would have daggers concealed on their forearms, and what they would do is they would go into big crowded areas, and they would look for their enemies, and they would pull the dagger out, and they would stab them multiple times, and then just kind of walk along in the crowd. Eventually, the crowd would thin out, and suddenly there's a dead body. That's what the Sicarii did, and and you know who the number one targets for the Sicarii and the Zealots were? They weren't the Romans. They would have been the traitors, the Jewish people who helped the Romans tax collectors. The Sicarii viewed the tax collectors very much as the enemy. So this happened a little bit after Jesus, but there were already the beginnings of this kind of movement when Jesus was around. Everybody still wanted a violent revolution, and so we find out in the next chapter, one of the followers of Jesus is called Simon the Zealot, right? (laughs) And so he may not have been a full-on zealot, but he definitely had some of the traits already working. And so This is not just about the call of Matthew. Yes, it's important that God can call even the very worst to follow him. It's important that Jesus calls and redeems even the very worst. But I want to encourage you, maybe this is also about what happens to the rest of the disciples. 
Maybe this story is also what happens to the community of the disciples. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount. He's kind of laying out his State of the Union speech for his new kingdom that he's building. And he says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Even the tax collectors. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. So what if in some ways the call of Matthew is about helping the disciples on this journey to perfection? What if this is as much about the disciples' continual invitation to growth? This is a hard teaching. <laughs> this is a teaching that I would rather skip over, and, and honestly, for my second time here, this is not one I wanted to get into. <laughs> But as I was contemplating what kind of kingdom Jesus is building, I thought about this, and I thought we have to talk about this. In our world today, we're told, despise your enemies. It's just like in Jesus' world. But Jesus has not changed. He has not changed his expectations for us. And so, so he calls this enemy, he calls this evil tax collector, and I think in that moment, the rest of the disciples had a choice, right? They can go back, and they can listen to Jesus' teaching on loving your enemy, or they can stop following him. But Jesus was not going to change. Matthew was along. Matthew was going to be there. And so this zealot even, I imagine this zealot and Matthew, this tax collector, being forced to sit down at table together, and Jesus saying, well, what's on your mind, guys? <laughs> and so our question a lot of times, our question is, as we're continuing this this journey of redemption that the disciples also were on is, well, who's my enemy? Who are the bad guys in our world? Who am I supposed to love and how am I supposed to love them? Now, a few years into high school, I was hanging out at my friend Joe's house and he was still bigger and better looking than me. <laughs> I was still better at theater. And, <laughs> and he invited a friend from the neighborhood over and, and this guy came up and he had long curly hair and I was better looking than him at that point. <laughs> no, I don't know. So, and he came in, and it was Jerry, this guy that I used to hate in elementary school. And we got to chatting, and it turned out he wasn't a bad guy. <laughs> I was the bad guy, is what happened. And, and we became friends, and, and we weren't close friends, but, but I realized this guy that I used to hate, there was no reason for me to hate him. I became his friend. And, and so, a lot of times we ask this question, right? Who is my enemy? And, and I had some slides, and maybe on some of those slides you kind of got a, a visceral feeling in your stomach about some of the people you're thinking about. That might be your answer. I could tell you, I could go through a list, I could do more slides, I could do more pictures, and I guarantee I could hit probably everybody in the room, but let me tell you, it's a lot more important that we think through this ourselves. Maybe I, my enemy living in Oregon were these people that lived behind us, and they had this pug that barks all the time, <laughs> and it was infuriating. <laughs> that was my enemy, and, and that's kind of a silly thing, but we all have these people, right? 
We all have these people that we kind of think of as enemies, or we have groups of people, tax collectors, that we think of as enemies. And so Jesus' call to us, his invitation to us, is to love those people. This is so hard. What does it mean, then, to love your enemy? We also have a bad idea of what love means in the United States today. We think of love as a good feeling. We think about it like liking somebody, but really liking them. And that's not what love is. How could Jesus expect us to change our feelings towards people? That's unreasonable, right? But Jesus loved us while we were enemies, and how did he demonstrate that love? How did he love us? He gave his life for us. (laughs) This is hard, too. This is something I wish we could forget about. But this is the call for us and our enemies and our world, is to give ourselves for our enemies, to love them and to welcome them, to embrace them. Here's the the trick that has always 100% of the time worked for me, and Jesus even mentions it in the Sermon on the Mount. If you find yourself hating someone, start praying for them. Ask God to bless them richly. Ask God to give them good things in life. Ask God to call them to join the fellowship of the redeemed. This is something we don't want to do, but it's something that I think Jesus puts in our path on this way to discipleship. And so if, you, if we want to take the next step in knowing Jesus, it is about loving our enemies. As we seek to be an outwardly focused church, people are going to come in here and they're going to wear us out, right? People are going to come in here that look different and they act different and we're not comfortable with that. And we may even think of them as enemies. And so what is our job with those people? To love them, to embrace them, to pray for them, to invite them over for dinner, to go out to dinner with them. These are all the things that we do when we're seeking to love our enemies. And so this morning, my encouragement to you, you may have been a disciple a very long time. This is the next step. This is the next step for us in discipleship. This is how Jesus demonstrated his perfection to us by loving us while we were enemies. And now it's our turn. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, your goodness is astounding. It is simply amazing how much you loved and cared and embraced even these horrible tax collectors, even sinners like all of us. We pray that we would have the strength and the resolve to do the same pray that you would go with us from here, that we would find and that we would love all of our enemies. In your name I pray.